Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is regular host Aaron Percival, aka Corporal Hicks if you uh, follow nerdy handles. And I'm going to be on my lonesome today in terms of hosting. Uh, everybody else is uh, otherwise engaged. But it doesn't matter because I've replaced them with the man behind my favourite Alien anniversary short. And we're going to be talking to Noah Miller. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great to be here. <laughs> yeah, I bet you're enjoying a lot of the uh, post-anniversary um, nerding, I guess. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's nice to be like done with the production side and just get to enjoy everything else. Mm. Yeah, f- first off, you know, thank you for, for coming on and chatting. Uh, but before we do start geeking out about Alien and about Alien Alone, your short specifically, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about yourself outside of Alien. You know, who, who are you and what do you do? Uh, all right, so I'm, I'm a screenwriter and director, I guess. A lot of music videos, a couple short films, one or two features that I'll never say the name of um, <laughs> uh, that, are, that are out there in the, in the world. You know, just, just uh, early in my filmmaking career sort of guy. I work at this uh, company called Ridge Production. It was uh, one of the, I guess, partners in this whole thing. And we, uh, we do same sort of thing, music videos, recap videos for trade shows, uh, short films, commercials, a lot of commercials lately, uh, that sort of thing. Is that something you've always wanted to get into? In my in my heart, I'm a narrative filmmaker till the end. That's that's where I'm at. Uh, something we're especially keen to hear about with our guests, and especially guests like yourself who get to play in, in the Alien Sandbox, is about the first time you ever experienced the franchise. So do you remember your first encounter with our favorite extraterrestrial? And which of the films would you say is your favorite? Uh, weirdly enough, I don't remember the, the first time. I'm sure I was like four years old seeing it on some like either VHS or like some awful or television cut. <laughs> well, you know, like an over the year or uh, over the radio. Right? Yes. Yeah. There's something about that, that gritty, worn down version of it that kind of works on its own anyway. But yeah, Alien, out of all of them, Alien is clearly my favorite for a lot of different reasons. When I was in college and studying writing, my, my film professor handed me the alien Walter Hill draft. And that was what I learned to write from. So uh, I maybe read that script like a hundred times uh, over and over again. And then from there, like tore apart Alien as a film because it's so, so well documented, the whole production process. Mm, Charles de Rica did a fantastic job putting that oh, out yeah. there for everybody. Well, not just him as well, you know, there's the documentarians in the past. And even just the commentaries that are out there, the hundred different little interviews with uh, pretty much everybody involved. And it was just, it's like a really easy film to find all aspects of. And you can trace it back to like way, way back to when it was just like an idea in Dan O'Bannon's head uh, all the way to, you know, what they wanted to do on the, the director's recuts. You can follow like every piece of it, so it's really, really helpful as a as a filmmaking tool to like, learn the process. Uh, okay, well, well, moving on to the filmmaking process, let's talk Alien Alone. More specifically, I wanted to ask you about your experience with the pitching process. So, as I understand it, it was uh, a two stage process with an initial pitch, which was then given further funding to be developed even further. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that process and how your short Alien Alone developed over the course of pitching? So, there wasn't a whole lot of change in development, but like the so the original um, the original pitch was like a page and a half, I think, 
And I did that on sort of a, a throwaway whim. I'm like, this is not going to be a thing that happens. I think it was like 3 a.m., maybe an hour before the pitch process closed and just kind of threw together a document with this idea that was rattling around in my head and went to bed. And then like two, three weeks later, found out that we were in the uh, pitch video process with 16 other people. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. Yeah. And that's when I, uh, I decided to kind of go full bore. I took one of the computers home from work, which was just really nice of them to let me do that, and just stationed it in my living room. Uh, we just moved in here, so it was just empty. It was like I had to go buy a desk actually to put it on a little janky desk from Craigslist <laughs> and then sat uh, on a very uncomfortable folding chair and worked for, uh, I want to say like four or five days straight putting together this pitch video. I had a concept artist put together a bunch of work that did the entire story from beginning to end. So we made a full animatic of the entire thing and did sound effects and voice acting and the whole the whole process all the way okay. through. So because I wanted like if I was going to get rejected, I wanted to be rejected for my entire idea rather than like, oh, what if I would have said this? What if I would have done this? So I like I took that into After Effects and did a bunch of minimal animation, color correction, lights twinkling and that sort of thing. Just being like, I want this to look as professional as I can get it. Go the opposite of the 3 a.m. Just throw it away. <laughs> pitch thing <laughs> yeah I'm trying to, other than that there wasn't anything in that pitch that really changed that much from the end and i think the only thing was just developing a couple characters a little more is, is that typical of sort of your experience with the pitching process of, of shorts not particularly i mean shorts don't there isn't a whole lot of pitching involved it's sort of just go out and do it yourself there's not a whole lot of short funding out there which made this pretty unique that someone's like here's some here's a, one of the, the largest and most like sort of austere, I guess, um, franchises in the world. And here's, you know, 30K. Do you want it? Like, yes, yes, I would like those things, <laughs> which is a lot different than I have to find a way to get four people together and somehow shoot something interesting in my hands. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Alien Alone is probably the most unique out of all the other anniversary shorts because it played around a bit more with the story than the others do. I mean, it's my favorite because of that. Uh, I wanted to ask you a bit, you know, about that concept. You know, where where did it come from? Was this a story you had tucked away in the back of your head or, or was it born from the criteria of the competition? Well, hey, thank you. Uh, uh, that's your favorite. <laughs> no worries. Means means a lot. Story-wise, it was, it's weird because like I, I'm looking back after, um, I've been thinking about this for a bit. I've got a couple other like features and short films that take place on broken ships in the middle of nowhere. Just because, I don't know, maybe that's a really nice setting that I like. But more or less, it was built out of what what I had available. And that was, I could afford an actor. I could afford, you know, a set, but it's not going to look good. So it better look junky. And I can't do a full-grown xenomorph. Well, I just didn't know that until the, the end that we could maybe do one. And I'm, I'm not particularly interested in the in, in the chest burster because all it does is run away. So I've got a face hugger and I've got one person and how do I make it so they can be together and they're not just chasing each other around and I can tell a story? Well, the uh, synthetics are generally not an enemy to the face hugger and the face hugger is not a generally an enemy to the synthetics. So if the two of them were sitting there, what would they do? And that was, that was kind of where it came out of. Did you have a lot of thought into, you know, how that interaction would go or, or was it always just sort of that kind of, I, don't, I don't want to say buddy kind of feel because i think that's, I think that's disingenuous towards it mm-hmm. but you know did, did you have did you experiment with how those interactions could go or, or was you always just sort of sold on this yeah i, I always knew like i was always i guess keen on on or, or aware, I guess, of the the fact that I didn't want it to be like, oh, she's got a pet and she's in love with it and it loves her, like that sort of thing. I did mm-hmm. not want that at all. I know that the facehugger does not care about her in any way whatsoever. It's like there's even a line where it's only drawn to my presence. 
that's it. It feels motion and it gets near her. It's all in her sort of degrading head. And that, because it was that, it was always interesting to me to be like, how can somebody delude themselves into thinking that this thing is, is worth caring for? And if I can make the audience care for it at the same time without breaking any of the sort of established stuff, then uh, I think I'm in a good place. I think, I think that worked, <laughs> uh, personally. One of the things I really love about Alone as well is that it's like getting to see my favourite unmade seed get made. And that's a scene from John Spates's Alien Engineers screenplay where David um, coaxes a facehugger out of an egg and onto Dr. Watts, who would be Dr. Shaw in Prometheus. I was wondering if that was intentional on your part. Did, did that script influence Alien Alone at all? I actually have not read Engineers. I've, I've been meaning to. It's sitting. It's sitting on my my uh, hard drive. Actually, part of my hard drive from my last computer, but I never got around to reading it. That that particular scene actually came out of the fact that uh, I could not find a way to do a realistic cinematic jump and grab onto the face. I just okay. couldn't find a way to do it. Um, and it was a lot more interesting to me if instead of being in the same way that we were kind of turning everything to the left uh, when we were making this, is that instead of it being this very dramatic, you know, shock and it's over. It was a long drawn out scene where our, our male character, uh, James's character had to endure seeing this thing slowly creep towards it. I thought that was a lot, it'd be a lot more, at least for this short, a lot more shocking than, oh, it's over with. Cause I want every character to have to live with their, with, with what's going on rather than just being one and done and out in a second. That's fair. So, so that was born out of means. It was born out of means, but it also made sense. Like it clicked in my head at one point where I was like, oh, of course it's dying. So it's not going to jump at him. And that way we can uh, make that, that moment a lot more interesting for Taylor's character, Hope, because she gets to essentially take part in this process, which was because originally it was just throw him in, in the, the lab, lock it, and then it happens. And it was, it was a lot more, uh, I think, meaty for her character to actually go through the process of placing uh, the face hugger onto his face. Yeah, I, I can agree with that one, actually. You know, that works a lot better as well, given the, uh, again, I don't want to say bond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. But speaking of speaking of hope, then one of the criticisms of Alone has been in the portrayal of of her. You know, the last surviving crew member of the vessel, who's who's a synthetic. Spoilers, by the way, if you haven't already sure. seen the short, go, go watch it. Come back. Now, you've alluded to me in previous conversations that you know you had reasons for her specific portrayal, and you developed an extensive backstory for Hope. So I was wondering if you could just elaborate on this for our listeners. Yeah, I mean the the, the like simple version of it is just that she is very very old like she's she looks like taylor our actress who's you know in her 20s but the character herself hope is is somewhere in her 80s she's one of the, the oldest still functioning synthetics from her particular line and i had this this story for her which she had gone from being the sort of top of the line in the middle of a, a ship respected in a way because people would listen to her and then as the years went on she would be demoted farther and farther down and put on junkier and junkier ships and there'd be less maintenance done and she'd be out farther and longer and it was just you know what what happens to that old tool when you've used it so often and passed it off when it's gone to like a goodwill and someone's picked it up at the goodwill and then they've used it and beat it up uh it's that that type of character she's been through a lot and is essentially at like now she's at a status level where like Brett's character is at an alien she's just the you go do this because it might hurt one of us so you do it severely degraded and severely abused i guess yeah okay that's fair in terms of the creature you know the the face hugger is very much the star of alien alone 
what was it like filming with that particular prop? And you know, where where did that prop come from? Was that one of the existing retail ones? Uh, no, it's not, which is actually really, I think the guys who built it are going to, uh, love that you asked that question. Uh, that's, so this, this group, uh, Raptor House, who we ran across online when I was just trying to figure out how to do this, they built that from scratch. And I was asking them to do a lot more with one face hugger than what usually gets done in normal productions. I'm like, we only have the money to build one. Uh, we ended up building two, but one's a soft body that for just throwing around, which is actually in my office over there right now. Um, just sort of sitting. Um, I got to keep that one, but they kept the, <laughs> the animatronic. But yeah, so it does, it does a lot more than like the bladders inflate, which is usually just one model does that. The legs move and are, are puppeted. They, uh, there's rod control to move it around. They pulled that out of nowhere. I mean, they just, they just went to town on it. It was, uh, born out of like pure passion on their part which is amazing. Like, I think pretty sure basically what they got out of that was cost of materials, which is, uh, helpful for the, uh... yeah, helpful for the budget. And also like, I don't know how familiar people are, uh, with LA production, but that's a miracle that somebody would be willing to do that. Cause this is everyone's job out here. So I was, I'm very grateful for that. And what they built is, is amazing. Using it was, was interesting. It was, you know, there's times where when you're, I guess when you're directing a piece, you'd be like, Oh, I, I just wanted to do this thing. And you're like, you know that it couldn't do that, but you hope by saying it that somebody could uh, make it happen. Uh, and surprisingly, usually they were able to make it happen. There's a few times where it just, you know, a lot of us haven't had like the most amount of experience with with animatronics. So there was a few things that we shot that were kind of iffy, but that's mostly on my part, just not knowing how to frame it just right. Those things did not make the short. But it is, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty amazing piece. And I'm really, really happy to have, to have had it for this. Another cool thing about Alone is that you cast none other than James Paxton, you know, Alien's very own Bill Paxton's son in a role in the film. You know, I was wondering how that came about. Uh, originally, that character was a was a female. It was a woman that was going to, to, to show up. But Tongle and Fox said, hey, make it a guy because they wanted it to, you know, they wanted to have a, a double play. And it was originally going to go with a much older guy, but they wanted a younger person, which they're right. They're completely right about this. A younger person so that the impact of the death is more more interesting and more more impactful, I guess. And while we were working on casting that, it was James who hit us up. He'd read a couple of the other shorts and wanted to be involved with this one. And uh, that was meant a lot to us because it was the one person who'd seen all the others and goes, this is the one I want to be involved with. Was was really, really nice. Nice to hear. And it was he was amazing to work with. He actually played, he does double duty. He plays both this McWeir character who comes to sort of salvage the ship or something else, depending on which scenes get put in there. Uh, and the, the xenomorph that comes out of him, that's him in the suit at the end. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> So he's sort of becoming himself throughout the course of it. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, I thought that I thought that was actually you know a really nice sort of connection as well. You know, I don't know how deliberate that was on everybody's part that he would be involved with these things, but no, I thought that I thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah, he specifically wanted to be as, as a uh, memorial to his father, and that was uh, his intention. Okay, so it was it's really really nice to have him there. The nicest guy you ever meet i'm not even like joking about that there's like a lot of nice people i've met he's up above now (laughs) (laughs) so so speaking of the practical you know adult alien you know alone is one of two shorts that feature this feature the suit and it looks like it was one of the stunt suits that odd creatures made for covenant that since yeah a lot of promotional material yeah so i'm not sure if it's the same one that's been used in these in these other uh moments or these other things i think they got used on like some comedy sketch i'm I'm not sure if it's the exact same one i don't know if there were multiples but what i'd heard is they found it in a box and they (laughs) they they just sort of delivered it over to to tongle um it was in a little bit of rough shape the other the other short uh harvest 
office that has it. Uh-huh. They ended up with it first. They broke the top of it. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> but we ended up having uh, these guys on site who showed up out of nowhere. They came with our costume designer, uh, Chantal, and I believe they, they helped build the, um, and it's going to kill me that I can't remember their names right now, but they built the, the Mark 50 suit that we had. Right. And they, they just like took it away and fixed it and painted it darker. So it's a little different than the other, but I really wish we could have modified it in a way to make it look like Big Chap. Um, you know, it's it's slightly different. I don't know. I'll come up with a way in my own personal headcanon to say it's not the Covenant uh, aliens. But just close your eyes a little bit and imagine that it's got the right tubing on it. <laughs> It'd be fine. <laughs> I imagine that would have saved you several grand anyway. Oh, yeah. No, it was uh, was not 100% sure how we were going to do it. I was probably just going to frame face. Or we, the, one of the thoughts was, because the, the original ending was a, a hand on a shoulder, which we shot it a few different ways. And that glove just didn't feel right, no matter how we did it. Mm. It just doesn't have the the rigidity the rigidity that we needed, but um, the original ending probably would have been just the head and arm in shadow coming out and touching her shoulder. But I think I like the the light a lot more um, using the the full suit. Yeah, yeah, I I, I love that ending actually, and and that you you know that you guys even had access to the suits because I wasn't really expecting any of them to, to use anything like that so that was you know another really cool moment when when you say they brought it over to tongle do you mean fox did i, I believe fox brought it over or had it couriered or something over to tongle okay and that's where i picked it up at and then uh ben came over and picked it up here i don't know this is not particularly interesting of how the suit made it into the different shorts um but i don't know it was, it was really nice to have I, I held on to it a little longer than i should have hoping they'd kind of forget that i had it but that didn't really work out <laughs> <laughs> just just a little hopeful just be like oh maybe maybe they'll just forget that it's it's at my house uh and i'll i'll just, just hold on to this for a while but that didn't i didn't quite get there <laughs> what what was it like to shoot with oh it was it was absolutely gorgeous looking it's not a hero prop so it's still a little foamy in certain areas and if you don't quite frame it right it's not it's not quite there but it was it was absolutely gorgeous it smelled awful it was one <laughs> of the worst smelling things you could possibly do and i and I, I know james almost sweated to death in that both of his costumes were these like super restrictive things that just did not have any airflow um i know we were packing them up with ice packs in between shots and that sort of thing and then of course you can't see out of it but it was it was really uh it was nice. It was a nice, nice thing to have. Very grateful for that they found that and let us use it and they they lend a real feel of authenticity to everything as well yeah my uh my goal was to like I believe there's like four VFX in the entire thing of like of of uh, digital stuff. My goal was to stay as close to practical as possible all the way through. Well, that's one of those things that you, people just tend to associate with the Alien series as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's practical everything, yeah. and I just think it looks better. Yep, just God, personal. Yeah. So those last shots of Alien alone, or of, of Hope's Alien companion in adult form looking down at her. How did you envision that interaction went down after camera faded to black? Well, I mean, I've, yeah, so I've got a longer, a longer story attached to it that could go on for, let's just say it could go on for a, a whole series that would be amazing to be allowed to shoot. But there, there's, I don't really want there to be a, a specific, even the end just says the last line of the script is fade to black before you ever know what happened or something like that. It's some, it's some variation of that. And so the, the point is that it's not, you know, the story ends once, once she sees it, it exists because that's all she wanted. And so she got what she wanted, and that's as far as it needs to go for this piece. So you you wouldn't want to expand on Alien Alone? Oh no, that that's a separate thing. There's there is definitely a, a longer story attached to it, but for this tiny piece, there is no if there is no continuation of it. I just want it to sort of fade out right there before you know. What do you think the odds are of continuing? I mean, whether whether it's th- through Tongle or Fox or whatever, or off your own back. I'd say in general, it's incredibly incredibly unlikely, but I would be 
absolutely grateful if that could if that could occur and happy to be a part of it. I think everybody involved, like every single one of the directors and writers, has their own ideas for for more. But I think this is I, I don't know, I'm trying to be trying to say that, that I'm, I'm grateful what we've got and I am I'm not expecting anymore. But I'm always always ready to work. Okay. the best way to put that. So you you've mentioned some stuff that you know you shot but you didn't include in terms of stuff you weren't satisfied with in terms of you know the framing and everything but were there any like other scenes that got shot that you just removed for whatever reasons other than technical I guess? Yeah, there were there were two scenes that got shot uh, sorry, there were two scenes that didn't get shot that I that I wish we had time for, but we didn't. My my DP Colin Jacobs on this uh, Colin Jacobs put an S on the end of his name and I shouldn't. <laughs> he who did uh, an absolutely amazing job on this. Like, I think it's, it's gorgeous, but he, he says that I'm, um, too ambitious. Like, I think we can get more done than we can. And so I ended up having to cut two scenes from our second day that take place in the lab that weren't incredibly necessary. I think they would have come out in the edit anyway. One of them was where the, she's sort of, I guess, bonding with it a little more as it's, as it's dying. She uh, warms up a piece of metal with her torch and it crawls onto it just for heat and tries to like sort of latch on because it doesn't really know what's going on. I think that would have been a, a little controversial a little bit to some people saying, oh, why would it do that? And then on the other side, it just uh, was difficult to pull off on its on its own and then there was another one where she disassembles mother and uses the pieces of it to get the lab uh computer up and running and there was one shot from that that i really wanted to do um and it's in the in the pitch which is a uh, uh what do you call it a projected image of the the monitor on her face and we get the diagram of the face hugger put over the top of her face just as she's reading about it but i'm okay with those two not being in there would have been nice to have i'm just okay that they're that they're not there's a few things that got that got cut for just like they don't they don't flow the story i guess i should say my, my original cut that i turned in was 25 minutes and we're down to like nine minutes of screen time now yeah. so there's a lot of pieces some of it's just her wandering alone there was a longer a longer section of her um when she's just sort of going through daily routines. And I had this crazy idea and it never would have worked where I somehow would have gotten the rights to play Benson, Arizona over it from, from Dark Star, which I, I mean, I've got that cut. It looks great, but it just never would have happened. There was a, a moment where she goes through the, um, the ship systems and figures out that turning the engines on would likely destroy the ship. It's like 90 something percent. It runs through a whole thing. And there was a bunch of like little tiny Easter eggs in there. I guess you'd call them that. Just not even Easter eggs, just descriptions of what the ship is and where it's come from and when it launched and all this stuff. Just, just a bit of background. Yeah, a bit of background. Just a whole bunch of like little, little chunks of stuff. I'd like to see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping they, cause like they had us cut our own little teasers and I'm not sure if they're using them or not. Cause I don't know if the other ones that have come out are people's cuts. If they do, almost everything that didn't go in, I stuck in the teaser. I'm like, I've shot it. So it's going to go up somewhere. Yeah. So that, that's, that's about the only stuff that, that didn't make it in. Okay. So, you know, now that your work on Alien Alone has been completed, you've had the chance to see it for yourself on the big screen. When you look back on the experience, what's been the most satisfying aspect of working on this film? Uh, it was the, the, the crew that we got to put together. It's really, it's not weird to say, but it's, it's, it's really nice to have met. Like, I've never had a set run like this. It ran just incredibly smoothly. And I think a lot of it had to do with people's passion about this particular thing. But everybody in there gelled extremely well. The, the Raptor House guys for uh, our effects work, our, our, you know, costumes with Chantal, Jake, uh, Colin Jacob, uh, his, his little cam, his camera crew and, and the stuff he put together there. Just like every, every piece of this ran extremely, extremely well. And these people are people I want to work with for the rest of my life. I would say like, like if you look on the, the, the credits in there, just like hit every single name on there and go look them up. They're people that do insane amounts of work for very, very, I don't say very little, but for, 
like they pulled off so much with so little that it was it was just breathtaking to to watch it happen and that's what you need with uh, these kind of projects isn't it you know people who can do so much with such a small you know budget such small resources i mean i was surprised at some of the sets as well in in the shorts as well you know yours is included in that you know with the, the spaceship stuff was that all built from scratch or was that any existing actually the 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 set that we have is the same one that harvest has um it's it's the it's laurel canyon stages which um if you like look closely you'll see it in a lot of low budget sci-fi shot out of la it's like this one spaceship set that's out here the set that i'm i'm most jealous of is is uh chris's from containment that was uh a hell of a build that they did out there i was fond of the windows on that one oh yeah the the little w yeah. yeah Yeah. Uh, how how do you feel about the response to Alien Alone? Obviously, we're recording this before it's gone out to everybody, but you you've seen some of the feedback from people who've who've had screeners and been to the the premiere that you guys had. I think we get like the the best version of that I could have wanted of of response so far, which is this mix of passionate. This is the best one. This is great. This is amazing. I loved it, which is great. Not that I'm looking to be the best one because I don't quite think we are. I think there's I, I've got things that I guess I should put it this way i've got things out of everybody's that i'm incredibly jealous of that i wish that either my skill level or where they placed their budget that i would have i would have done <laughs> but it's we have this like one sort of passionate core and then we've got people just say yeah that's yeah, pretty good it's kind of what i would have what i would on either it's striking a chord or it's not so when i was at, at afi vince gilligan came to talk and it was really weird because like seven of us showed up instead of everyone and this is like in the height of breaking bad popularity so there were just like seven of us there while Vince Gilligan was talking about his his process. And there there was always a thing that, that I don't know, I always kind of questioned for him of, of like, why is it that I give a crap about Walt's character when in by the third episode I watched him liquefy a human being in a bathtub? Like, I shouldn't like that guy. And his his response was that just do whatever you think is interesting and your audience will either come with you or they won't. I always find that the key to dislikable people is you've got to make them interesting even if they are dislikable and you shouldn't enjoy them. If what they're doing and what they are and what they think is interesting, then you can follow them regardless. My personal opinion anyway. Oh, no, totally. And it's just like the thing that was the the key for me out of that is that he was just saying that your your initial instinct is to, to make something you'd like to watch, the reason you're doing it. And if you do that, there's at least going to be a percentage of people who are like you who are going to want to see it. Mm. That's, I don't know, helpful in a lot of ways. It takes off a lot of stress of worrying about whether or not everyone else is going to love it, whether or not there's going to be a bunch of mean comments about it online. It's totally fine. The, so long the as you like this, there's going to be mean comments. Oh, and I'm very, I'm very much waiting for them. I think they'll be fun to read. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm personally very curious about what the reaction's going to be like, I must be honest. Yeah. But it's fine. It's fine because I love it. I'm happy. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So what are we there's uh I'm trying to remember how many of you were on the, the last one. Was it four of you or three, yeah, three of you? Of us. On the last three, three of us. Three of us. So, you know, one person loving it and two people saying, ah, it was okay. That's, that's pretty good. I think that's a good a good amount. I think it's hard to find a, even one person to say they like something these days with the amount of stuff that's out there. Oh, what what's next for Noah Miller? What what you got on the horizon? That's a that's a great question. I I mean I'm always uh, writing and we do the music videos every once in a while. The you know 
we're doing uh, an installation at the Hard Rock Hotel with Rich Production, the company I'm at. Um, that's sort of the thing that's taking up my days right now, uh, video installation there. They're opening a new one in London, uh, and we're doing the, the video screens there. But as far as, as narrative goes, I'm always, always happy to work, and uh, I got enough ideas for enough other franchises that I'd love to get in front of. Hey, if you happen to be one of the guys working on The Purge, I've got one for you. <laughs> that that is is its own interesting little thing. I don't know. I would I would love to get a hold of a lot of old properties too and be able to just put a spin on them. For whatever reason I've always wanted to make a critters film. Somebody happens to be holding onto that IP. I don't know. It'd be nice to it'd also be like incredibly nice to go back and work on this some more and, and play in this world. Well you know, there's always Kickstarter. Sure. <laughs> I've done I've done uh I think I've done my my fan film world. It's weird enough that I, I always wanted to stay away from it. Now I've made two years back I made uh, I wrote um, I don't know if anyone's even going to remember this. I wrote uh, Nightwing the series. That was a YouTube um, thing that went out there. Yeah, I I saw. Yeah. I at least saw the first one of that. I remember that. That was what five years ago. Yeah, it was, like it was that. forever ago. Mm. That that just was like some guys that I went to school with at UNLV that were looking for a writer for it. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Deathstroke was in the first episode. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I saw that. Oh, that was wow. Yeah, it was it was a ways back. That was... you just keep cropping up everywhere for me at the beginning. yeah. You know, with the Stargate thing as well. Oh, yeah. I guess I should mention that. That's the other thing that I'm doing through uh, Tongle. I think I'm not 100% sure what it's going to look like just yet, but we're working on uh, this Stargate fan panel that's sort of helping shape at least the, the Stargate Command website and the, the little fandom world of that is being, uh, I guess, shepherded or at least advised by this this group that they put together through Tongle. And I'm uh, one of the people, one of the 10 that's involved with that. Yeah. I want, to, I want to ask you about the mentality from Fox and Tongle in regards to these things. You know, you, you said, you know, you thought you'd left the fan film world behind. I feel it's a bit disingenuous calling them fan films because so many of you that are making, have made them, you know, you are professionals. Mm. And, you know, when you say things like fan films, you, you know, it's a perception of not being professional. Sure, sure. How, how did Fox sort of take them? Are they... Are they fan films or are they, you know, official official parts of the lore? I don't know what they're what they're doing with like lore and that sort of thing. I know very clearly they're they're considered fan works. I know that in my case, I'm not sure about the the rest of the directors, but I am like deeply a fan of of Alien. You know, I've seen every movie a hundred something times all the way through. I did the count up. I think I've seen Alien itself something like seventy five times. I'd be impossible to count. Yeah. I used to I used to show it in class, and so uh, I'd always have to watch it before class, and then we'd watch it together, and then we'd break it down scene by scene. So each time was you know three of those. Um, so I had to count somewhere in the seventies um, of, of how many times I've, I've watched it. But to get sort of back to your point is that they, at least in my case, that a lot of the reason I think I was was chosen was passion for it, and so it was while I, I do have you know a, a very moderate to low professional background. It was a mixture of that and the fact that I, I loved the franchise and specifically the first film uh, so deeply that got me to, to hear. So I think while they were looking for, for quality pieces, they were also looking for people who were fans because it is a, a fan piece. And the, the budgets are so, I mean, like I know it's cropped up on a bunch of articles, but the, to make anything on 30K in like a semi-professional setting, especially when one that's supposed to emulate a film that I want to say it was like 90-something for Covenant or... or yeah, but about yeah. 90 mil, 100 mil, something like that. So to, to try to, to match that feeling is is nearly impossible. <laughs> so it's it's very much, at least to this way, it's a, it's a fan budget and they're fan creators with professional background. 
yeah okay uh, that's that's actually everything from me before we sign off is there anything you'd like to tell us any anecdote or, or anything that you know any thoughts that we just haven't given you i haven't given you the opportunity to express so um, i mean my, my biggest one is how absolutely grateful i am to both uh fox and tongo for putting this thing together it's hard to express how you know if you're if you're out here trying to be in this particular sort of business this just doesn't happen and it's really it's I don't know. It, it means a lot to, to me personally. Um, I know I've seen some, and I'll even say this for anything. I've seen some comments saying like, well, why, why just go to these new people? What you don't have any new ideas or whatever. And I think this is a new idea. It's in the, the franchise itself is in a weird transitional phase, at least from my view from the outside. And this was the, the perfect time to, to do something like this to at least let people for the 40th anniversary just express a, a, a love for it while giving opportunity to new people is. It means a lot to me, and I'm I'm really grateful that it happened because it, it shouldn't have. Like the the industry is so difficult to get anything done that something like this should have died on the vine, and that it didn't is there. There are two people involved with it that I think deserve a pretty big shout out, and they don't tend to get it. Which one would be Hope McKenzie from Fox and uh, Quaid uh, Coker from um, Tongle? They both worked pretty heavily to make sure this happened, and I'm uh, I'm really grateful for them for all the work they put in to make sure that we got to make these. How hands-on were Fox and Tongle, you know, during the production? So they weren't like incredibly hands-on, actually. They there were there were notes passed back and forth in the screenwriting phase. Mine were pretty minimal. There were notes thrown back and forth during editing. Those were less minimal, but they were correct. You know, they're I think they're used to dealing with people and so that that make things so that they they knew. You know, they could see things I couldn't see about what should and shouldn't be on screen to make it entertaining. Because if it was up to me, I would have done an entire real-time shoot of her just walking around the ship. Um, just, you know, it's fine. <laughs> it's all atmosphere. You'll love it. But beyond that, they were pretty hands-off. Besides the basic sort of production stuff that has to go into it, like these are the contracts you have to get signed. These are the uh, release forms. These are, you know, this is what you can and can't do because, you know, it's a non-union project and it's not this. And it's not, you know, besides that, they were they were pretty hands-off. I think they got what they, what they wanted early on and were happy to let us sort of play and develop, which is also its own sort of amazing thing. I would have expected a lot more back and forth. I think the only thing I ever pushed back on, which I still didn't didn't quite get, was and at this point, it's a joke that I keep bringing it up to, uh, to them. Is, uh, and it is. I'm, I'm mostly saying it in jest. Is the font used for the alien title is is, is slightly different than uh, than what I wanted, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> what what did, what did you want to go with? The the adapted version of of uh, Helvetica is is what they what I think the original one was. Uh, I have the exact name somewhere, and especially on like even though I ended up not using them, the the text font. For you know, I had I had a whole thing written out for like the crew and this and that and this and I was like it doesn't need to be there. That was done in a version of, of Helvetica that was slightly blurry to kind of match the original the original look. But they they have a very specific one that they're using across franchise, which makes sense. They want their stuff to look the same all the way across the board. Brand identity is pretty important. Where can where can folk find you online if they want to come and stalk you a little bit more? Uh, I think the only thing I'm really active on is Instagram, which is just Noah Miller. Uh, even that, I'm not super active on. Uh, you can see a lot of the stuff that I do at uh, RidgeProduction.com. That has a good chunk of my work on there. Uh, I have a, a Twitter that I do not use, which is Noah R. Miller, but I look at it, so it exists. And that's, that's really the extent of my online presence. Okay, fair enough. Um, if... Folk are interested in finding out a little bit more about our platform, about Alien vs. Predator Galaxy. Our hub is the website, which is avpgalaxy.net. 
We're on all the socials as either Alien First Predator Galaxy or AVP Galaxy. That's uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube as well, though that's very much a baby project because it takes a lot of hard work actually to get those stuff going. But there's stuff on there. I'm personally followable on Twitter as well at underscore Corporal Hicks. Uh, thank you, everybody who listened. Uh, thank you again, Noah, for taking the time to uh, come and enlighten me a bit on um, on Alien Alone. It's very much All appreciated. Right. Thank you for having me. Uh, this is Aaron Percival. And this is Noah Miller signing off. <laughs>